yes, yes, yes. I like that voice. Um, welcome to Act Root to Fruit. My name is Marcel, and uh, I'm joined today by the lovely Joanne Steinwachs. So I'm on a quest to better understand the roots of contextual behavioral sciences. And, uh, and I'm interested in, in that because I think that it's important to the work that we do as clinicians. And I want uh, the fruits that we deliver and the fruits that I deliver to be as pristine as possible. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'm on a quest and I've got some guides along the way. My first one is my, my, my buddy, Joanne, yeah. who, who we've done some work together over the years. We and, have. Um, though, though we have a pretty good streak of social distancing going on. <laughs> right. We've never met face to face. How weird is this? Huh? Yeah. Wow. Brave new world that we're in. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so Joanne is a um, uh, social worker, licensed clinical social worker in Denver. And mm-hmm. she teaches, she treats, she trains. She's a, a expert in, in particular in, in, in trauma care. And, uh, you know, I don't think I'm an expert in trauma care. I'm a little okay. edgy on that one. I, okay. I think I've done a lot yeah. of it, but, you know, there are people who are experts. You, but if I do remember correctly, a few weeks ago, they flew you to Israel to give a training on trauma. Yeah, that's true. Okay. All right. So whatever that means, that's yeah. what Joanne is. And... Uh, I'm just uneasy about it because, I mean, there are really, really heavy hitters, particularly in our yeah. community, like Robin, Robin Walzer, mm-hmm. who've, who've been mm-hmm. studying and publishing and writing about trauma for decades. Yeah. So when I say expert, that's what I look to. Okay. Okay. And um, so what else was I going to say, though, about that? You're a peer-reviewed ACT trainer. I am. You have and some- I'm a recognized functional analytic psychotherapy trainer. Okay. Mm-hmm. And... Um, a fun person <laughs> with a with a, a a wicked mind. Can you tell my daughter that? Could you like just email, <laughs> just text her and say your mother is a fun person with a I wicked will. mind? I will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not an annoying, you know, nudge. <laughs> as long as you tell my my partner that. Okay, I will do that. The same no about problem. me. Hope, yeah. Assuming you think that about me. Uh huh. So um, yeah. So so act is is. It's called Act Root to Fruit, but it's kind of just, it's a, it's a clickbait, really. I'm sorry, people. But this is about contextual behavioral sciences. This is about FAP. This is about con, uh, IBT. Radical behaviorism. Yeah, thank you. Thank Learning you. theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, Skinner. And so many of us come to this, this uh, arena because of ACT. It's, it's got some, some cachet these days. And, uh, and I'm, I'm a few years into my journey. And, um, and so... But I'm just finding that that it's so it's difficult. It's really difficult to really understand this stuff. Yeah, and, it is. And and what I, what I, what I thought about recently was it's kind of like this. Like like I, I, I the first book that I read um, on on act book was an anxiety book by John Forsyth and George Eifert. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I just read it and I was like, it was just revolutionary to me. Right. Okay? I was really struggling with with a, you know my my philosophical orient my theoretical orientation, and I read this book. And it was, it was, you know, it was like, yeah. So, so, so I'm reading this. I'm like, yes. Okay. Then I go to a boot camp, and yes, I drank the mm-hmm. Kool-Aid. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and so that though, that is kind of like, for me, is just like a, it's a feeling thing. It's a community thing. 
and it's kind of like a community thing like going to a boot camp yeah going to boot camp and and just mm-hmm. just you know i mean for me it was like a good feeling you know i'm oh, reading yeah. this and it's like it's like it's like touching parts of me that i like not it's kind of almost like you know you read something and it's like something you you've never learned before but you know it you right. know it to be true exactly and so what i was thinking about recently was how it's kind of like you know you take a pill a medication and some feel good when you take them right okay mm-hmm. not that i've ever abused any kind of medications in my life but so you take a medication and that that's kind of like what the 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 feel good thing is is the boot camp or the you know the trainings which they're they're really amazing because because yeah. you get involved but 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 what you got to do afterwards is read the formulary of the <laughs> no you actually have to go learn chemistry <laughs> <laughs> right okay right okay. yeah okay. so so um so, but that's but okay, but that, that's even worse. I've taken that's much worse. I, I know it's I was horrible. A science undergrad, and yeah, I've done right. all that. It's and horrible. Yeah. I've probably lost a few years of my life doing that. Yeah. So, but yeah, okay, but even that, like, okay, so I'm on the formulary right now. I'm not on chemistry yet. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's pretty damn boring to read. Yeah, it's really boring. Yeah, it's boring. Okay. Chemistry is even worse. Yeah, yeah. Philosophy of science is you know dead boring. It makes your eyeballs bleed. It's so boring. Yes. So, so, hey, I want to take advantage of this awesome medium we have. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think that there's a certain, in this post-truth era that we're living in, there's, there's a certain return to the oral history. You know, seeing, I want to see, I want to see people speak something, okay? Uh-huh, right. and, and that's what I, I want to take advantage of here. And also, we're just all so busy. And, um, and so, you know, maybe, maybe this will serve a purpose of like, Hey, I got, I got 10 minutes. I'm riding in my car or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. throw this in and, and, and let me get, let me get grounded some more in, in this thing that's really important to me, but difficult. Yeah. To do. Yeah, it is. It's very, it's really, and the thing I think that's, that's confusing about behavioral principles is they, they sound very simple. Yeah. So we think they're easy. Not so much. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's not a ton of variability. I mean, behavioral principles apply, you know, no matter mac- micro, macro, meso, it, you know, they're consistent, but that doesn't make them easy to understand, to see, and to use, Yeah. in my experience. Yeah. Do you, do you want, can you t- talk a little bit about your experience and in, in coming to this uh, path? Well, I had a real similar experience to yours. I mean, I came into ACT, I think. The first or second Reno uh, Summer Institute. So I don't know when that was, 2000 something. And uh, my first uh, act, uh, act uh, workshop was with Steve Hayes. So it was like, holy crap, I'm drinking from the fire hose here. Oh my gosh. But what had happened before, I mean, I've told the story multiple times, um, but what happened before, I was really getting burned out. I was mid-career, mm-hmm. and I was super, super burned out. My practice was busy, but I was just sick of what I was doing. You know, Just yeah. like, it's your mother. Uh-huh. Okay, see you next week. It's your mother. Uh-huh. See you next week. It's your mother. Okay, maybe we need to do two sessions this week. It's your mother. I mean, I was lots of awareness and understanding and insight, and my clients really weren't, weren't moving all that much, and I was getting super, super bored and burned out. So I was talking to a colleague of mine who's still my colleague. He's my office mate. His name's John Bell. He's a psychiatrist here in Denver. And I was saying, you know, I'm getting burned out. I don't want to do it anymore. So well, there's this book you could read. It's called Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. And I'm like, nah, I'm not reading any more books. Because I'd done all of that, right? I'd done all these trainings and readings and all that. So you, do you want to talk about what you were doing at that time? Oh, yeah. I was actually transitioning. So I came out of grad school and I don't know what your grad school experience was like, but mine was uh, basically 
what's it called? Uh, eclectic. Yeah. Theoretically yeah. eclectic, you know, yeah. whatever. And I'm yeah. a social worker, so it had to be kind of contextually bound, you know, person and environment. So you had to make, you know, and it had to be like that. But it was mm-hmm. so, uh, such a mess, man. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't find any kind of sort of conceptual ground. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I started working with really challenged people early, early in my career. Mm-hmm. They've just shown up in my practice over and over and over again. Yeah. So it wasn't like I was talking to people about, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily working with the worried well. I was working with people who were really, really, really challenged. So not having any solid ground or clarity about what I was doing was, was yeah. more than just disturbing to me. What, what do you think is a solution to that in graduate training? As far as like, you know, giving people, because not everybody's going to be a, you know, a third waiver. And not Why to not? say that. <laughs> okay, but yeah, I don't know. Go I just, big or go home, man. <laughs> it's like, okay. why not? I think everybody should be. I'm going to, I'm laying it out here. I am a radical behaviorist. That's what I am. That's my stance. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, this isn't like a technique. This is a fundamental stance in the world for me. Okay. So and you're, not just you're professionally. Just, yeah, it's your religion. No, I don't think it's my religion. I think it's my worldview. It's the okay. way I see okay. the world yeah. and how I, I, I like that. I like that term much better than the one I used. Yeah. yeah. Was it was it was it appropriate of me in a functional contextual way to say that I like that more? Like what more? Your the your your term worldview. Appropriate and how? I don't well, even know. What you're I, I just here. I just often think about like how am I reinforcing things with clients, and I find myself all the time saying, "Oh yeah, that's good." Okay, you just made a really common error where okay. you can determine a reinforcer out of context and beforehand. The only way you can tell if something is reinforcing is to do it and observe the outcome. Okay. I mean, and be clear about what it is you're hoping to shape and reinforce. But there's no, there's no such thing as a sort of a, a box you could pull out of a, this is a reinforcer. I mean, okay. I don't know. So, so the error I made was in saying that any value judgment that I give to someone's behavior is a reinforcer. For what? Well, I just, I don't know. I just, cause I had mentioned to you like that. I, I liked more. I liked your term use of the world term worldview rather than what I said, as far as a religion. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you you mentioned you said that I made an I made a common mistake. Yeah, thinking yeah. that I mean it's it's reinforcement as a concept is just referring to this is my understanding of it. You know, um, I'm going to use regular language, not geeky behavioral language. How I respond to you, you do something, I respond, right? and if I'm doing something and you respond in the direction that I'm hoping that you will, then what I did was a reinforcer. Okay. But I can't tell if what I just did is reinforcing until I see your reaction to what I did. Right. And then, so the other thing I'm wondering about is reinforcing for what, what are you trying to reinforce? Mm -hmm. You see, so that's the other thing is it's very, in a weird way, behavioral principles are very vague and very precise at the same time. So you're saying it's a reinforcer. Okay, well, what are you trying to reinforce? Well, and, 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 and reading humans is, is not so easy. No, it's absolutely not easy. Yeah. 
And so that's the other thing I thought was really confusing for me about uh, learning behavioral principles because they sound very, very precise and mechanistic, you know, yeah, very tidy. Yeah. And human behavior, I mean, I think if you're working with pigeons, sure. Well, maybe not even pigeons, but definitely, you know, nonverbal creatures, nonverbal beings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But humans are super messy. So when I'm looking at, let me just tell you a story. This is, this is something that happened to me. Well, early in my training, I was, I was a big Kelly Wilson fan. I still am. And I went to one of his workshops and he showed a, a video of him doing therapy. And I'm a clinician. So, you know, that's like crack to me. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's showing this video and he's, he's talking about act. And all of a sudden he says, wow, look at those contingencies. You can just see the, the reinforcement contingencies moving. Can't you? And I was like, no, what's a reinforcement <laughs> contingency? What? Stop. Wait, stop, Kelly. And he went on, you know, he just mm-hmm. went on. Because for him, that's how he was trained. Reinforcement. You could see the contingencies. And I couldn't. I had no idea what he was talking about. But that was like, okay, how do you do that? How do you see contingencies? And now I can. I can see mm-hmm. contingencies. Mm-hmm. I can see reinforcement. I can see behavioral contingencies moving. Can you, can you um, rewind a little bit and talk about your journey to, to being able to do that? Oh, God. Uh, it was complicated. You know, I went to, you know, like you did, I went to workshop after workshop. And I see a lot of people who come to me for consultation will say the same thing. I've read 900 ACT books. I've gone to 50 trainings. I still don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I say things like, okay, well, let's start with um, functional contextualism and philosophy of science. And they're like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, that's where we got to start. We got to start with this really boring, basic, geeky stuff. You need to understand this part first. Okay. And uh, so that's, no one was there. I didn't have a Joanne for me when I was in, no, I just, that's really what informs how I train and how I supervise. I don't want anyone to go through the brutal learning curve that I went through. Okay. So um, I didn't have anyone saying, I remember talking to Steve about this once. He said, oh, just read Catania, you Mm -hmm. know? And I picked up the Catania book and I felt as stupid as you could possibly feel. It was almost as bad as reading the first RFT book. No, you know, where you understand the words, you have no idea what they're talking about no. over. I mean, it was just, I, I was at such a basic level that even for people who are trained in behaviorism, I was even less, uh, I don't know what to say it. I didn't know what they were talking about, but I'd nod my head and go, Oh yeah, sure. So long story short, um, I just struggled and struggled and struggled. I started reading this horrible geeky behavioral stuff it made no sense to me. And then finally I just despaired. And, um, I, there's some, there, there was an incredibly strong behavioral program here in Denver, uh, the Graduate School for, for Professional Psychology. Um, it's changed now. It's not, it's not as strong as it was. But I went to the person who I think is kind of the heart of this program. His name's John McNeil. And I said to him, um, you know behaviorism. You don't know me, but will you teach it to me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just out of the blue. Mm-hmm. You know? And, you know, he was so kind to me. And I, I think in many ways, he's the man who made ACT understandable for me. He's a person. Yeah. So he had me read these really, really deep conceptual articles. And, I, you know, I had a whole big packet of them and talk about them and work with them. And he was so, so incredibly patient and kind with me. Uh, I hired a grad student who was learning behavioral principles to help me learn with them, hmm. you know. Uh, I went to another person here in Denver. His name is um, uh, Jim Gallagher, who's uh, probably a second wave behaviorist. I don't think he thinks RFT is very valid. But he actually walked me through how to do really super grounded uh, exposure work 
using behavioral principles. Okay. And uh, it took me probably, I would say probably a good four years of that hmm. for me to get it. Consistent. Yeah. Consistent. Sweat. Sweat. Yes. Sweating blood. You were hungry. What, what, what was motivating? What was inspiring your hunger? My what was driving your, yeah. My clients. Okay. My clients, yeah. I mean, I'm a clinician. That's what I do. That's my ground. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm here to serve my clients. And I wasn't, I wasn't helping clients the way I wanted to, the way I thought it could be done. Mm-hmm. You know? And I didn't know anything about exposure you know, at all when I started this. I mean, I thought, you know, if someone's got PTSD, you talk about how it's this and how it's that. You don't ask them to go through some of the worst experiences of their lives mm-hmm. moment by moment by moment, molecularly, very slowly, again and again and again and again until the arousal sort of softens. Okay. To me, that was, that was abuse. You know, I was re-traumatizing people. Mm-hmm. Right? And so... I was, I mean, I'm really sad about this for a big chunk of my practice. Um, I was working with people who really absolutely needed act and form prolonged exposure. Yeah. And they weren't getting that from me. You know, they weren't. So after Jim and John and John Bell, the other man helped me, my work just, just my work with people with trauma, just, it's, it's not even the same work. Yeah. It's absolutely not the same work. It's, it's just not. Yeah. And, and that way, the thing that was so powerful for me is pain is not the problem. Yeah. Right. All of my work before ACT was about avoiding and controlling distress. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what good work looked like. And it didn't yeah. work. Yeah. So it's kind of yeah. like building a dependency on you. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. And I hated it. Mm-hmm. It was awful. Yeah, I, I get. I, I personally am fed much less when a client tells me how much I'm helping them than when I, right. you know, see right. what's going on. Yeah, me too. Um, and and so, can you talk a little bit about like your own internal journey? Because I'm hearing obviously that your your clinical acumen and ability to help people was just exponentially increased oh, during this ride. God, but what about yeah. just like the rest of your life outside? Oh of, God, it's incredible! It's so incredible. I mean, I have I have a history of PTSD myself. I have fairly significant uh, social anxiety, um, and I have panic disorder. You know, I have panic attacks. So you know. And I have attention deficit issues too. I mean, I'm just like, oh my God. Um, And I just thought of myself as this broken uh, uh, fraud, Mm. you know, and a lot, so much of what I was doing was to prove myself worthy. Personally, professionally, just everywhere. Yeah. And uh, I I, I just, I was, I I thought of myself as a fixer upper, you know, you buy this rundown house and you fix it up, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but this rundown house was never going to be fixed up because it kept mm. falling down. Mm. And I was just, it was miserable. No. Miserable. Uh, no. And so using ACT myself, you know, fully in without defense as it is, not as it says it is. I am not what I experience. I am, you know, given a distinction between me and what I'm struggling with. That for me was super profound. Yeah. Oh, my God. You're you're a, you're a big proponent of the act question. I am a huge proponent of the act question because Which is it just not, works for me. You don't hear too much no, these days. You don't. Yeah. But it organizes me very easily, much more than the Hexaflex or the Matrix, which I also think are really cool tools. But for me, they don't work as well. Yeah. 
Okay. So, so you're, we should stop because people don't know what the act question is. So I should just say it. Okay. Yeah, please. Given a distinction between me and what I'm struggling with, am I willing to have that fully and without defense as it is, not as it says it is and move in the direction of my values in this moment? Yeah. That's act. I'm going to put that, that my reggae dub track back on and you, you maybe should you start. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I could feel it though. It was cool. To, I mean, I can see, I can see that at the cellular level yeah, in you when I you're saying see. that. And I can, yeah. yeah so yeah. thanks for sharing that with us. And it's a simple, it's, it's what I love about it is it just, I just have to, I, it gives me places to stop and check. Do I have a distinction? No. Well, let's get to work on that. Mm-hmm. Fully and without defense. Yeah, not so much. Only this bit here. Well, there you go. Yeah. Usually when I'm struggling with fully and without defense, it's because I'm having it as it says it is, not as it is. It's all connected too, which is lovely to see okay. it all kind of work together. So, so talk about the uh, link between you metabolizing this mm-hmm. as a worldview and you being able to practice this with clients. I think it happened at the same time. Okay. It wasn't, I mean, I, one of the things I love about experiential workshops, the the workshops is because for me, I dove in and I was like, you know, I drank the Kool-Aid by the gallon, you know, at the workshops. So I would have these really powerful personal experiences first. And then I'd go into my therapy sessions and try to do that with clients that would blow up in my face, which is another story. Mm -hmm. Um, But that sense of like, Oh my God. Wait, right. Right. Finger (laughs) traps. Oh, I told you the story, right? I have a gross of these. I did too. I did too. I had a gross of finger traps, right? Because you can't buy them in a smaller quantity, right? Oh my God. Uh, Luckily, you can give them away in a large quantity. Yes, you can. Oh, you you literally bought a gross of finger traps too? I did. I did. Yeah. And I I, I still have, you know, 134 of them. (laughs) I know. I know. I know. I know. God. But when I saw that finger trap thing, you know, it was revelatory for me. It was, I mean, one of the things I love about these, these, these canned, I don't know if canned isn't quite the right word, but these Staged. classic, well, they're classic act interventions is that they demonstrate something. Yeah. You know? yeah. The thing that I find it's the menu. It's the, it's the menu. Yeah. I think it's like that. But when I was learning it, I learned it as this is what to do. Okay. But I think it's intended as this is a way to demonstrate something that's hard to talk about. There's many ways to address this. But I took it uh, early on in my career. I said, well, Steve does finger traps. I'm going to go into my office Mm -hmm. next Monday and I'm going to do finger traps, whether it's contextually valid or not. Or like pull my seat up. So I'm like sitting on someone's lap. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. Let's do eyes on. What the hell? This is really weird what we're going to yeah. do right now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. How do yeah. We do and I, I would have clients ask me, did you go to a workshop? Because you're just weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. But that's how we have to learn, right? I mean, we have to watch. I do. Them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's okay. how we have to learn. Okay. And it's, it's messy. And, and I think anything worth doing is worth sucking at for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, I, t- uh, I did. I was a terrible act therapist. I was so clunky. And, yeah. and you know, the thing is, is I think if somebody listened or watched my work right now, they wouldn't necessarily, um, I wouldn't look like a classic act therapist. I don't. Okay. You know, but what's informing me and in everything that I'm doing when yeah. I'm interacting with a client is absolutely, you know, 
behaviorism, functional contextualism, RFT. Okay. They're all working for me in that when I'm working. When was the last time you did a kind of cliche act intervention? Oh God, it's probably been, well, let me think about it, you know? Uh, I mean, I use metaphor all the time, okay. constantly. Yeah. Uh, but an actual physicalized metaphor, uh, God, probably over a decade. Oh, wow. Okay. Over. I mean, one that's classic. I mean, yeah. I, clients and I will spontaneously make stuff up together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this sort of... I mean, I use, you know, holding a beach ball underwater a lot as, a, as an idea. Okay. Um, but I do, a, uh, you know, Manuela O'Connell does this really beautiful work with physicalized metaphors. Mm. You should get her on this podcast. Okay. Yeah. She was on the other podcast. And she's amazing. Yeah. So she, she does it on the fly. She's very gifted. She's mm. super gifted. Yeah. And so and, that's kind of how very, I do it. And very humble. Yeah, she is. Yeah, yeah. she really is. She's very humble. Yeah. Uh, and so, so the, I, I work very similarly to what she's talking about as it shows up, it's physicalized metaphor. Okay, okay. So I just want to Which I think is the point, which is the point of all of those act, um, classic act interventions, is to bring it out of this kind of conceptual, heady framework and into yeah. a really embodied present moment right here, right now, you and I yeah, yeah. stance, yeah. Yeah, I've I, I've experienced some of that, and, yeah. uh, and I want to experience more. Yeah, keep yeah, at it. I will. So uh, I just want to rewind and, and, and acknowledge too that um, something you said in terms of kind of being a you know broken house or defective is is something that uh, I don't think gets acknowledged enough in our field. You know, I think um, that's something that I really appreciated about ACT was like kind of, it was like a level playing field. Like we're all messed up humans that have this problem with language that, you know, blah. And, and, and here's the know. piece that's really interesting and in analytic, you know, when you're looking at an analysis, one of the things that's really lovely about it is the recognition that we're all messed up humans. Yeah. Right. But the reason for it and what you do about it is very different. You know, we're all messed up humans, and then you went into because of language. That mm. is revelatory. That yeah. changes everything. Yeah. Because of language, that changes yeah. everything. Yeah. As opposed to because of your crappy upbringing, because of your whatever. Okay. You know? Yeah. For me, yes. it did. Yes, yes, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. And where I was going with that was just that, yeah, I mean, we're all attracted to this field for a reason. Okay. I think. I mean, I'm, and you know, maybe that's my that's my bias. You know, I uh, um, that's me. I mean, I, I think that I, I can relate a lot to what you talked about in terms of just sure. feeling defective and and you know shame and all kinds of stuff. And wanting, many of us uh, come from really really challenged to... backgrounds. And, yeah, no. you know, we couldn't we couldn't help our families, so we want to help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it makes sense. I mean, you see people doing just some of the most powerful work in progressive work in our world are people who have been mm -hmm. affected by something personally. Yeah. Right. So mm -hmm. we shouldn't hide from, that's just my point. We shouldn't hide from it. I, I just think that we're a lot of graduate programs are so stuffy, you know, <laughs> and um, I, 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 you know? it bothers me. It really bothers me. Yeah. I, I just, when I'm around that really stuffy professional, I, and it's really funny. I try so hard not to, but when I'm around that's uber professional, you know, very kind of, I don't know how to call it academic thing. Fuck just jumps out of my mouth. Yeah. yeah. I can't help it. I just, I just, it's almost like a Tourette's mm -hmm. thing, mm -hmm. you know? 
That reminds me, I wanted to make a public service announcement. Uh-oh, I'm sorry I said it. This is a public public's PSA, public service announcement. Don't take yourself too damn seriously. That's right, exactly. Okay. Or anybody that. else. Yeah. Anybody yeah. else. Yeah, yeah. so, uh, okay. So, where were we? Where should we go? Mm, where do you want to go? I don't know. You've asked me a lot about, you know, how did you get there? How did that work for you? Mm -hmm. Any tips or tricks along the highway? Any ways to debrutalize the learning curve? And uh, find someone to do it with. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have, I'm going to be speaking with uh, Miranda Morris about just the, the role of community in, yeah. in, in learning. Yeah. She's, a, she's just a powerhouse. In, in, she is. In I know. That. Yeah. I know. Um, yeah. Okay. So finding someone, finding community. Yeah, that's important. Mm -hmm. That was part of your early. Well, let me say this a different way. Um, I think I'll, I, I, I think peer groups, learning groups, have some utility. You okay. know, they're good. Mm -hmm. But I went to people who knew a lot more than me. I see. I went to people who could correct me if I went off wrong on the wrong tangent. And I think in peer groups that doesn't often, sometimes that doesn't happen. You know, you don't, I, I don't want to be with people who are as competent and smart as I am. I want to be with people who are smarter and more competent than I am because I can learn mm -hmm. from them. Mm -hmm. Now I know this is heresy. I understand all that, but it just, just in terms of learning, yeah, you got to go to the people who know the most. So that would look like consultation then. It would look like consultation. It would. I mean, I I paid a lot of money yeah. to learn this. It wasn't yeah. wasn't a graduate education, but it wasn't free. Yeah, yeah. You know. Okay. I mean, when I was working with Jim Gallagher, um, I went every week. Every the comedian. Week? Yeah. No, he's a he's a he's a behaviorist here in Denver. Brilliant, brilliant behaviorist here in Denver. And you know, I bring tapes and I do cases and over mm. and over, mm -hmm. and it's just and that wasn't cheap. Yeah. But he gave me. I mean, it was it was it was like working with a combination laser and fire hose, hmm. which is wonderful. Okay. And John was the same way. John Bell and John McNeil are the same way, and other people too. I went. I I trained with Robin Walzer. I mm -hmm. talked with Kirk Strozal. I mean, yeah. I just went to people who I thought really did what I wanted to do, and said to them, T "Teach me how to do that." Yeah. And how much will that cost? Which sucks, you know. It'd be lovely if it could be free. Yeah, but we have to so, make a living. So, where does somebody start out if they're gonna? I mean, they, okay, so they, they they maybe they find uh, someone they can do some consultation with, <clears throat> and I'm sure that person will give them some instruction. But assuming they don't find someone to do consultation with, and they're gonna have to take the the route uh, Joanne took before there was a this Joanne. Mm -hmm. uh, what 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 are they, what should they pick up first to really get into the roots? Well, there's a really great book that I read called Behaviorism in Everyday Life or Behavioral okay. Principles in Everyday Life. It's a, it's a basic, basic uh, a primer based on, on behaviorism. And the thing I like about that book is it, it, makes, it makes connections between our own living daily life and behavioral principles, which I okay. thought was really, really helpful for okay, me. I'll put, a, I'll put a link to that. Behaviorism in Everyday Life or something like that, Behavioral Principles okay. in Everyday Life. That was great. Uh, Something that I don't know if it would be. Uh, I'm trying to. Th I'm, I'm sifting through the stuff that I read. There's so much of it. Um, 
I think that that's where I started as I, I needed that level of this is an this is a, a undergraduate text for behavioral principles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and if there was like a first grader text for behavioral principles, start there and work your way up. Okay. You know, find the simplest, most accessible, understandable way of seeing contingencies as you possibly can. Okay. So there's that. Um, what else did I read that I was really good? I like Mecca Chiesa's work. Uh, she talks about why we need to use this geeky language and why it's important. But mm. that for me was just, a, that was just something useful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, 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 I like uh, Eric Fox stuff on RFT. Okay. But it was hard for me to translate that into clinical application, bring it into clinical application. Okay. Uh, Patty Box book. This wasn't what I learned when I was, you know, mm-hmm. beginning. Patty and um, what's his name? DJ Moran's book. Uh, God, what's the name of it? I can't think of it right now. It's brilliant. It's it's basically uh, applied behavior analysis mm. and act, and it's mm-hmm. very, very. It's it's a wonderful okay. book. I, will, I um, absolutely recommend. I'll look it, it up and put it in the uh, notes. It's great. It's wonderful. Okay. So those are the ones I'd start with, probably. Well, so on that note, you said something that that reminded me. Yeah. I, let's talk a little bit about the history of act. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where, where does it come from? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an expert in that. I, I no? would imagine. Well, what I understand it, it comes out of. Steve and maybe Kelly and Kirk looking at how Skinner's brilliant life, you know, world altering work sort of faltered around language. Okay. I mean, I remember reading Skinner, the early stuff, you know, and I'm not going to be able to quote Skinner books and stuff, but I remember reading his books and going, yeah, right. Yeah. Oh God. Yes, absolutely. Sure. Mm -hmm." And then he'd talk about language and it was like, what? Mm Mm-hmm. He started, in my experience, he started having on all of these unobserved hypotheticals, all these, these kinds of, you know, the, the, the clarity and the beauty of it just fell from me. Okay. Um, so when, when Steve and Kelly, I'm really, I think mostly Steve, I'm not sure. Steve, Kelly, and uh, um, Derek, uh, not Derek, Barnes Holmes. Yvonne. Yvonne and and her part Dermot and yeah yeah. when they started when I started reading their stuff it was like oh yeah okay language is an operant oh my god that makes sense okay so here's my question though and and for clarity the the you know we have the the uh, comprehensive distancing coming out of of kind of uh, radical behaviorism I don't know okay (laughs) sure (laughs) but where where is RFT in this I don't know okay. All right. I mean, you're asking for, I mean, I'm an applied, if, if it helps me do better clinical work, I'll do it. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I suppose I could go back and figure all that out. Where does it come from? But I think you should get somebody here who actually knows. Oh, I've stuff. got, they're coming. Don't worry. Okay. Excellent. No. So, yeah. But you had mentioned RFT. So I just, I just thought we'd, we'd quick, you know, because, because this is, you're going to, you're, you're my first guide here. <laughs> and you're going to, you're, you're walking me to oh, the you woods. Poor, you poor guy. <laughs> you're walking me to the woods, Joanne. Mm-hmm. And, and you're going to hand me off to the next guide. Two go out, one comes in. Kind of like that. <laughs> uh, I think if you don't, to understand relational framing, you absolutely need to understand behavioral principles. You, you can't get it without it. Okay. Language as an operant means nothing if you yeah. don't understand basic behavioral principles. Okay. So I'm a big fan of, you know, people go into RFT and 
that they don't have a fundamental ground. So that's one thing, understanding basic behavioral principles, but also uh, having a worldview that is coherent and is consistent. Functional contextualism is not like any other sort of stance. There isn't another stance that like, radical behaviorism is very, very, very close. Mm -hmm. But this idea that there are no things there are no things. There's no, like, there, like you said, what's a, what's a reinforcer? That's not a functionally contextual stance. When you ask me that question from a functionally contextual worldview, it makes no sense. Is that reinforcing? I don't know. Okay. So it, it, that's, I think, the most important shift to make and the hardest. Okay. You know, because we, yeah. we think in objects, we think in things, we, yeah. we think in terms of essential realism. Okay. And it's very difficult to shift into a functional contextual worldview where there's, there's no ground. Yeah. You know, like earlier you're, you're talking, and I do this a lot with people, they'll say something and they'll, they'll use a, they'll say that, whatever. And I don't know what that refers to. I have no idea what they're talking about. So I'll stop and I'll say, what is that? What do you mean? What's that? And it's, it's challenging, I think, for people when they're talking to me, mostly clinically, but also interpersonally, because I don't assume I know what you mean just because we're using the same word. Mm -hmm. I often assume we don't mean the same thing. Right? And that idea that, that there are no stable reference. Mm -hmm. Reference, not reference, ENTS, not ENCS, ENCE, um, is really a weird world to live in. I don't know. It depends. It's a very, very strange place to land. Mm -hmm. Humans hate it. We don't like ambiguity. No. And if you're going to stand in a functional contextual worldview, you, you have to stand in ambiguity. You have to stand in not being able to make sweeping sort of statements about the world. You know, so when you went a moment ago, you said something about people coming to this field, blah, blah, blah. And you made yes. a sweeping statement. Yes, yes, yes. And I paused and you saw me pause. I did. It's like, I, I don't know, maybe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I think that's the weirdest part of living in a functional contextual worldview is I can't make sweeping statements. Hmm. And if you do, you're not. Well, sweeping. Me, you, you, me, Joanne, or you generally, humans? Joanne, if you what? do make a statement, take a stand, you're, you're going in contrast I'm, to. I'm always in a stand. I've never, it's not that I don't take a stand. Okay. You know, my stand is a functional contextual stand. Yeah. But stand and functional, they don't, the language doesn't work. This is why I think Kelly and Steve and them may develop these metaphors and these, these practices and these, these uh, act interventions because you can't, it's, it's really hard to think functionally and contextually when you're using our language for sure. Uh, yeah. Stand, well, that's a noun, that's a thing. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, no, I'm standing. I stand, I'm standing. Okay. And I know where my standing is. It's in functional contextualism. I'm, I know where I stand in that. But that uh, stand, does this make sense to you? Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. It, I have so many questions about it. And yeah. um, 
Um, you know, when you have so many questions about something, you're not even sure where to start. I know, right? I yeah. know. Yeah. And but for, when I started learning this, when I got that, it was that was when that was like the key to the kingdom. Everything started yeah. to fall into place yeah. for me. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's what that means. <laughs> and it's super difficult to put it into language right now. I'm struggling to say it in a way that it actually feels to me. Mm-hmm. So I want to. I want to ask a question here. Okay. Uh, have you read the book Sapiens? Mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. It's uh, the subtitle is a brief history of humankind or something like that. And mm-hmm. um, he, he does a really good job of telling stories and weaving in history and evolution. And he talks about this shared fiction we have as, as humans that we're able to make that really separates us and uh, from, from other species. Mm-hmm. And he uses the so point he's talking of, about language, right? Yeah, language. Yeah, he's talking about language, and um, you know, he uses like an LLC as a the how we can we can make this entity have just as much power, or a corporation as much power as a human, you know, mm-hmm. and and the corporation can live long after the person who started it died, and um, you know, it's it's just it's a shared fiction that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, is that? Am I getting at a little bit of what you're talking about right now? I'm not sure what you're saying to me right now. Okay. You're making. I think you're making a connection. On yeah, I'm trying to make a trying to make yeah. a connection in terms of this, this this standing versus a stand that a stand that it's it's doesn't doesn't exist is what you're saying. Well, you know, if I were going to sort of unpack that, I, I haven't read the book, so this is probably yeah. you know off. He's using a metaphor, but it's a metaphor. LLC only means something like that in a particular context at a particular time in a particular situation. Mm-hmm. It's not It's not solid. Yes. You know? And that's the thing that our language pulls for is a sort of solid, mm-hmm. eternal, kind of unmoving quality. Yeah. And LLC. It's LLCing, Licensed Limited Corporation, right? Whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, that's, just, that's just a moving... One of the things that John McNeil talked to me about that I really loved, he talked about um, reality being like a river. You know? When you're looking at a river, what defines a river? The water, the boundary, the, 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 the field or the, the dirt or stone that's holding it there. Well, what if the river is drying up? Is it still a river? If it's dried what up. If, yeah, or if, it, if it's in a place where it is dried up for a period of time, does it okay. still remain a river? What he right. brings to it is, is that a river, yeah. the thing, thing that we think of as solid, and, and it's made up of the water, mm-hmm. the ground around it, the atmosphere, the climate, you know, the, the headwaters, everything around it. No. Yeah. Comes together in this this constellation, this sort of interaction of rivering. So then he takes it so cool. And then you look in the river. There's a whirlpool in the river. What makes a whirlpool? It's the it's this confirmation of factors that temporarily create. I'm making air quotes. Creates Mm -hmm. a whirlpool. But we talk about a whirlpool as if it's a thing, rather than a relational phenomenon mm. that is in is alive and moving. Mm-hmm. You see? Yeah. So for me as a functional contextualist, when I'm working with someone who's got this, you know, this, this really hard, solid, this is me quality, right? If I get caught up in that, 
I'm lost. But if I'm, if I see it as like, this is a, okay, your whirlpool is like the great spot of Jupiter on Jupiter. But mm-hmm. the great spot on Jupiter isn't a thing. It's not eternal. It's not solid. It's happening right now. It's happening. It's happening. Yeah. yeah. That's it. That's all. Okay. And I don't know what happens next. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what happens next. Yeah, it's, very dest- it's very destabilizing. Yes, exactly. Yes. But it's also enormously freeing. Yeah. I mean, I say all the time to my clients, I don't know what happens next. And if you mm-hmm. do, I need some lotto numbers, man. <laughs> Yeah. I literally don't know what's happening next. I don't often know what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Right. I can see you're like, Ugh. Yeah. This is, this is for me, yeah. this is what standing and functional contextualism means. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Well, it's so. It's very disorienting. Yeah. It is. Until it's not anymore. Mm-hmm. Until you can see contingencies. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm you know. It's freeing. God, it's freeing. You know? It's so wonderful. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And it's weird, you know. I, you know, I, I, I spend a lot of time with people not understanding what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Okay. You, when, what people? Clients, colleagues, you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can see your mind trying to turn it into what you already know. You know, oh, it's like this. No, it's not like that. It's not like that. No, it's not. Well, that's why I'm. I, that's why I'm going on this journey, Joanne. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need community, and this is. Uh, yeah. This is part of it. It's a big yeah. part of it. So. Yeah. yeah. The stabilization. Oh, it's. Hold on a minute. I got to plug my computer in. It's more than destabilization. It's annihilation in many ways. Right. Everything that. I mean, if you think of yourself not as Marcel, but Marcelling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What yeah. does Marcelling kind of, what does Marcelling look like today? What will Mar, you know? I mean, I mean, looking at ourselves as this, this sort of fluid, uh, unstable process is so bizarre and yet incredibly freeing. Right? I don't know what happens next. Like all this stuff that's going on in the world right now. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's, if you read the news, in my experience, if you read the news, it's like, well, this is what's happening and this is what's going to happen next. I'm like, I don't know, maybe. I have no idea. I have no mm-hmm. idea what this means. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. Okay. So many things have been happening just in the world right now that you never would have expected. Yeah. You would never have seen that coming, both yeah. pleasant and unpleasant, yeah. reassuring and scary. And that's the nature of reality. Is like it's not something you can contain in a box and label and name. And that includes us and my clinical work. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I see stuff happening that I never would have expected. Just did not see that one coming. Mm. You know. Yeah. I mean, oftentimes I'll go into a session. I'm like, all right, this is what's going to happen right now, and I'm going to have to do that. You yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never happens. Never works that way. So now I'm at the point where I'm saying that to myself. I'm like, yeah, whatever, Joanne. I can't stop it. I still do it. But I'm not as, I'm not as uh, trusting of that as I used to be. Mm-hmm. And you know that this is what's going to happen. That's what I'm going to do. It's always bad, by the way. You know, it's never <laughs> it pleasant. Be, yeah, it has to go this no. way. Kind of yeah, rail, railroading. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, that's so, like, anyway. That's, well, and, and and back to the, the the didactic portion of act. You know, I mean, you could pick up some books and manuals or whatever, and you'll see. Oh, session one, you do this. Session two, yeah. you do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, my sense, you know, when I when I went to that first boot camp, I my 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 guttural sense was that um, there had been some shift from kind of coming at it from a from the science to the art of it, and um, and it had been kind of more in the art of the technique and not not so much grounding and, mm-hmm. and i might be i mean i might be out of off base but i've heard other folks you know um who are high up in acbs make similar comments yeah. about the science being lost well it's hard i mean yeah. it's not an easy it's i mean if we're talking about dissemination which i think in many ways the boot camps and the workshops are um i think you have to give something Appetitive because learning behavioral principles is absolutely not. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And functional contextualism, standing in that place or having that orientation is just uncomfortable and weird. So it's just not a sexy product. You got to <laughs> sexify it up somehow. Yeah. yeah. So I think there, I think that, you know, I mean, there again, we've got that kind of solid realism. It is mm-hmm. this, it is mm-hmm. that. And as opposed to, this is all an alive process that's moving all the time. Mm-hmm. And whatever, I mean, I, I would imagine if you took 10 people from a boot camp and you started them in the same boot camp and then you just talk to them and watch them and listen to them over the next 10 years, you'd see similar but very things you wouldn't expect. Mm-hmm. You know, I haven't been to a, a boot camp in a really long time, but the last one I went to, there are people I could see there that were like in tears because yeah. the world started making sense. Yes, yes. And they felt this sense of hope. Yeah. And I'm thinking, great. Now, if we have a way of saying to people like you and people that come to me all, all the time, like, I got all of this, but I'm stuck. No. Yeah. And helping people learn all of this boring stuff, then I think we've got, you know, we could take over the world. Sounds good. Well, board. maybe maybe we could do a little bit of an example to just show what we're taking the world over with. What do you say? We had talked about maybe doing a kind of a point counterpoint. I don't know if that if we made a decision on that or. Just tell me what you want me to do. I'll try to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, my idea was was to to do a non-act kind of generalist eclectic approach to my dilemma which is your dilemma well um, which one (laughs) yeah i know well okay so i guess i'll just talk about something that will maybe you know uh, make translate the best here and that would be just like nervousness around doing this podcast and i could talk about my first the first episode i recorded which will come after this one but i could talk about that and how how my anxiety came up and i struggled Mm -hmm. with it okay Mm -hmm. So, so should we start with the, the eclectic generalist or should we start with uh, CBS? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know about eclectic generalist, but if you're looking at pain, coming at it from pain is the problem, you might start out with all kinds of, you know, let's think with your thoughts, let's challenge your thoughts, let's encourage you, let's affirm that you can do it, let's remember that you've done can it we, in the Can past. we do it? Can we do a little bit of it? Sure. Okay. Yeah, maybe. I'm not very good at that, but okay. Okay. Just try really hard. Whatever. Oh, well, okay. I will. No, it'll go smoothly. Okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, um, I, I interviewed Franz de Waal. Uh, oh, cool. Earlier in the week. And, Sweet. Um, I lost a lot of sleep 
the night before mm-hmm. and, I, and I, and I thought about all the kinds of things I wanted to get at. And he's a primatologist, very well known mm. and, and, and um, was so gracious and, and being willing to be part of this project. And so he said like some really interesting stuff. And I, and I was like, I, I had these questions I wanted to get to. And I just, I, I missed out on so many things I wanted to ask him about because I was so tight and I just was like, you know, you had to use the bathroom, you know, just, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, um, Mm-hmm. So, um, so I just have been kicking myself about all this missed, these missed questions, like these things I could have asked that were done so appropriate and apropos to, to, to what was happening. I'm going to pause. So right here, I might go into sort of soothing you and reassuring you and you're human and you, know, you did your best and okay. all of that stuff around, you know, and some compassionate, can you be compassionate with yourself and all of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you could do it again. What are your, you know, maybe you could try it again. Maybe he'd be willing to do it again. What can you take from this that you can use in the okay. future? Yeah. Right? I mean, so it's, you're like normalizing with that. Like be? normalizing, okay. validating, acknowledging. You why, know? from a functional contextual perspective, why is that not helpful? Well, it might be. I don't know. Just, <laughs> Damn you, functional contextualist. Take a stand. <laughs> I, here I go. I'm getting ready to take a stand. You ready for it? And the stand I need is, answers. Yeah. Okay, so my stand would be, well, what if that's none of that's optional? All that distress, all that concern, all of that anxiety that you feel about this, all of the worry, it's just not optional. This matters to you a lot, and you really don't know how mm. it's going to turn out. So that's pretty anxiety-provoking. Okay, but okay, okay. Maybe the price of admission. Okay, well, we're going to get there. We're going to get there, but stay with me on this. That's right. Start, though. The normalizing. The normalizing. I just, mm-hmm. I, I want to know why it's, it's from a functional, contextual, radical behavioral perspective, CBS orientation. What, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong with normalizing? I know it's- Nothing. Not, Okay, nothing's wrong with normalizing. No, it's, it's all contextually bound, Marcel. I okay. mean, if I'm with a client who is super, super dysregulated and very little distress tolerance around their own experience, very, very little, I'm probably going to be doing some shaping early on. So we're like, okay, da-da-da-da, ha ha ba But that's not where I'm going to end. Where I'm going to move from, from that sort of, uh uh-huh, yeah, mm -hmm, yeah, is to hardcore, full-on acceptance. Okay, so we'll do that This is the price of admission. We'll do that now, and then we'll talk. How about that? Sure. Okay, so we're going to roll real play. What are we doing? What am I doing now? I'm going to reassure you, and then I'm going to, like, throw you to the wolves. No, no, no. We've done the first. I mean, you've you've provided the, the... Right. Of course. Okay. I mean, it sounds okay. like it was really meaningful yep. to you. Okay. And boy, I think anyone in your position would probably be feeling that way. And, yeah. you know, maybe next time when you do it, you want to do some breathing work, you know, like okay. sort of ground yourself ah, and bring okay. yourself into a, yeah, yeah, like bring yeah. yourself into this moment. All I, you know, grounding, grounding, you know, okay. notice that you're, you know, just ground yourself. And maybe before you start, if you find yourself getting really anxious, just breathe, breathe in, calm, breathe out fear. Okay. Yada, yada, okay. And what you just did, is um, not in alignment with. No, that's not true. It, it, you know, you're making up a rule okay. right now. Okay. You know, <laughs> yeah. 
but you're for saying it for a reason. For some people, giving, in some giving... situations, for some, for there might be clinical functional utility in doing that in yes. that moment. Okay, okay. So for I'm that not person, to, I'm not trying to make a rule, but I, I, I really want to pick apart why you're saying that. Like the reason you're bringing up those particular examples, because I think they're so important and they're something that we just we just lean towards well, naturally. I think, I think the, the underlying um, assumption or the underlying message that people get is when I feel well, I'll move well. First, I need to address that I feel distressed, and then I'll be able to move, right? And most people who come into my practice start with that. You know, first I feel good, and then I behave good, right? Yes. And they've spent years and tens of thousands of dollars on first I'll feel good, and then I'll, right? And the, the, the heartbreaking part of it is, is that the pain is a problem piece is so ironically destructive because pain and values are the same thing. Mm. What does that mean? Of course it hurts. It matters to you. Okay. Yeah. If you get rid of pain, you won't know what matters to you. Yes, yes, yes. Right. And yeah. it's dishonoring. It's like, Oh, your pain is somehow broken badness as opposed to your pain is absolutely honorable. Yes, yes, yes. I, it doesn't, it's not shameful that you mm -hmm. feel this. Okay. Of course you feel this. And it's not optional. The more it matters, the more it will hurt. The more possibility it, you, it will hurt. And the art in doing what you do is mm -hmm. in bringing someone to that without explaining it to them. Right? Unless I need to. <laughs> no, I mean, I see this all the time with my, my, my students, you know. I mean, it's like I talk about it with my students a lot. It's like driving in a car with someone who doesn't know how to drive very well and is driving very poorly. Yeah. And you're in the passenger side, right? And you grab onto the, 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 the hold the strap, you know, and you push your foot into the invisible mm -hmm. brake pedal, but you don't say anything. Mm. As opposed to, dude, okay, t slow down. You're going too fast. <laughs> no, don't okay. stop. Right. Stop, stop, stop. <clears throat> Let's do this again, right? No. no. I mean, why why can't we see therapy as teaching? That's what it is. Yeah. As opposed to this sort of, I don't know, Vulcan mind meld that I'm supposed to what you know. Like I'll say to people, I don't care if you feel good. I don't care yeah. if I feel good. That's not what I'm about here. I see it right up front. You're, if you you're, want uh, someone who's about to help you feel better, I'm maybe not that's about. maybe that's why your daughters don't think you're cool. Well, my daughter doesn't think I'm cool because with her, I'm not cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, totally okay, not cool. Before, before uh, I forget and, and we lose uh, the moment, let's go back to my example. And would, mm -hmm. you, would you mind doing a real play with me? On So I'm doing a real play with you as if you're a client or I'm doing a real play with you as your Marcel? Client. Okay. Give me some background. Give me some context with this. Uh, what do you Is mean? this a client who has some, um, some flexibility and some resilience around feeling distress or not? Um, is this a client who is absolutely welded to the idea that if I'm in pain, I'm broken and bad? Let's say 50, 50. There's some, there's some resilience there and, uh, and still some gripping on to pain needs to go away to be okay. So what am I doing? I'm doing act or I'm doing. Well, whatever you want to do. I mean, okay. do you. How about that? Okay. Okay. I'll do me. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, so um, uh, what kind of, I'll, I'll, yeah. So yeah, I did this interview this week and it's been really bothering me. I, I, I'm really beating myself. Slow down. Wait, slow down. Can you tell me how it's bothering you exactly? 
I just get these cringeworthy moments where I remember a question that I didn't ask, a follow-up. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And and I think, God, I'm never going to get the opportunity again. And I and yeah. I looked like, I looked and probably sounded like can, a Can you freshman. back up for just a second? Just yeah. a second. Can you, that cringeworthy moment that's mm-hmm. sort of like, is it like a flinch internally? Is it like, yeah. a, it's like, like a, your heart, <laughs> like you yeah. almost want to vomit. Yeah, right? sometimes, yes, I have them and I'll just go <laughs> like out loud, literally. Out right. Loud. So it's a sense of like, what, shame? Shame. I'm pathetic. I'm stupid. Every, yeah, and probably, it. probably also the social component of like how I'm seen. Yeah, 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 for sure. Because you know, you're going to be they, seen. They saw me. Yeah, for sure. It's a podcast. I mean, there'd be possibly millions of people who are going to get how completely and cluelessly defective you are. Correct. You know? Correct. And that feeling, like right now, is what we're talking about, is that feeling of ugh available to you? Not, not no. No. Okay. No, so you're no. mostly just kind of reporting it to me yes, right now. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. So, so pause right there. I was doing exposure. Okay. Acceptance and exposure. You know, you started moving really quickly into something else, but the part that seemed the most, yeah, you you flushed a little bit when you said that part, you looked mm-hmm. away, your body language was very like, get me yeah. away from this. Yeah. So I'm going to stop and we're going to come back to it, you know? And when in that exposure, your willingness to describe it to me and engage with me with it is acceptance. We're doing okay. acceptance. So the acceptance of the cringe. Yeah, this is what it is. Present yeah. moment was, are you feeling it right now? Yeah. Is it happening right now? Would, would, okay. Wait, wait, observe yourself, looking, looking at, not from. Is it, do you feel it right now in this moment? And you had to actually look at your own experience to answer that mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. So right there, we just did the whole hexaflex. Well, we did everything except committed action and values, but those are implied. Okay. And so if it's not in me, do we do you want to kind of summon it? Summon it, would you? Is that where you would have maybe gone? Or not necessarily. Like you're just like, okay, know. he's recalling it and that's what's going on. Can we can no, we do a little so- it's more than he's recalling it. I'm actually looking for the place where I see you. Kelly talks about this in Mindfulness for Two. It's such a brilliant book. That's yeah. the other act book to read. Yes, yes, yes. That's, with, if you're not going to read any act book, read that one. With Troy Defrone. Yeah, it's an yeah. amazingly good yeah. book. Um, but Kelly talks about watching for cadence, you know, when people, you know, they go down, they slow down, then mm-hmm. they go off. And what you want to do is dial it back to the place where they slowed down for a second and then yeah. they flinched and went off okay. faster. And you yeah. did that. You know, like I, you know, I had that thing and then, and then uh-huh. you started giving me a lot of stuff around it. And I was like, ah, yeah. come back here. So what, what we're looking for, what I'm seeing, the contingency that I'm seeing is there's all of this sort of behavioral variability as you're describing this to me until that shows up. And then everything comes about getting away from it, changing the subject, moving off of it. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty much what, what, what happened functionally. Yeah. So I'm going to come back to the place where the narrowing occurred. Yeah. And I'm going to block the escapes. This is an ERP, you know, exposure and response prevention. Mm-hmm. I'm going to block. You, you know, you had a couple of moments where you're kind of, well, it's this, and I kept coming back. Well, is it like that? And mm-hmm. really making it kind of um, sticky and yeah. palpable, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't trying to reassure you. I wasn't trying to change it. I was trying to actually help you get more connected to it. Yeah. So that's the work, really. Because yeah. later on, I might say, you know, that feeling of, oh, I hate myself and everyone hates me. And I'm like, ugh. I think if you're going to do this podcast, um, that's going to show up. Are you willing? 
Yeah, I am. Yeah, right, exactly. Exactly. But if you don't have any experience at all of just having that, having it fully and without mm-hmm. defense as it is, mm-hmm. and just letting it be there, which we just did. Yeah. You know, stopped and we brought you back, stayed. I might reference back to, well, remember that time where we were talking about when you first started telling me and you had that, ugh, did you notice it? You did it there. Mm-hmm. There you go. And okay. I'm not, I'm not going to make any comments about going forward or um, anything like that. Okay. I need to stop soon. Okay. Um, I think it is a good place to, to wind down. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck with this podcast. I think it's hey, going to be great. You know, I'm so happy. I think it's happy. going to be so great. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. I'm so happy that you are uh, the, the first one to, to sit down with me. Okay. <laughs> well, the um, first, feel, second one. Well, yeah. But, I, you know, as far as really talking about what I want to talk about. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And so I'm really excited about this. I, I just, I've got a, I've got a, a, a host of, of splendid people who are going to join you. Me. Yeah. Yvonne yeah. Barnes Holmes and Nicholas uh, Turnkey and uh-huh. uh, Miranda Morris, uh, Jonathan Cantor, uh-huh. amongst others, and, uh, and a behaviorist who's not CBS. Yeah. Uh, and Glenn so, Callahan, too. Greg, Glenn Ca- Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I'm very excited about that. So, um, yeah, so Joanne, you are available for a consultation. I'm going to put, mm-hmm. I'll put your website in the, mm-hmm. is that what you yeah. want? They can yeah. get a hold of you through And we're, we're developing, a, 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 we're in the process, uh, myself and uh, people in Israel, of uh, doing an online sort of pl- training. We're trying to figure out how to help people do exposure work from an ACT perspective. Okay. And actually help people develop those skills like we just did a second ago i was talking to you about how i noticed how your repertoire narrowed and i could catch it yeah. helping people be able to catch those moments and work beautiful. beautiful yeah okay but that'll be uh, that'll be probably in the next it'll probably take about six months or a year and, that and that'll be that information will be on your website or yeah it'll yeah, be on there. it'll be in hebrew and english okay um, it'll be online training mm-hmm. okay okay mm-hmm. And uh, you talked about books and um, what else? Anything else we need to talk about? No. Your Denver, Denver place? Mm-hmm. No? Okay. No. Uh-uh. Uh, I want to talk about, just really quickly, is mm-hmm. another, another, another podcast I have going. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's all about, it's all about health. And, um, and the title is Honorable Evolution. And Sweet. I'm talking to folks who are really walkers of the talk and um, who are, are just doing a phenomenal job of taking care of themselves. And I want to pick their brains about how they're doing that. Uh-huh. So I'm going to be talking to musicians, poets, uh, badass yoga nuns, uh-huh. um, black belts, white belts, all kinds that of things. That sounds folks. fabulous. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that a lot of, aside from language, you know, a big part of our struggles as, as humans homo sapiens is, is how much we've deviated from just the natural course of our evolution and our lifestyles. Right. You know? And mm-hmm. so I, I'm a, I'm, I find the more that I, I kind of incorporate some more of that natural stuff and make loud sounds, the healthier I am. So Did that cringing shame thing just show up right there. <laughs> there it was a little, a little flicker this, of it, right? <laughs> is, this, is this an explicit podcast? Can I tell you to fuck off or is that? Well, I already, I already ruined it by, by saying the <laughs> So you're going to have to put, you know, explicit on this one. Cause right, I just, right, yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, thank you, Joanne. You're so welcome. A pleasure. Will you, will you come back? Sure. 
I want yeah. I want to check in with you and and uh, I want I want to get your guidance some more. Oh no worries, I'm okay. happy to do it anytime. Anything I can do to help. Take yeah. care. Okay, thank you. All right, bye bye. But I'm getting stronger. They take a piece of me. But I'm getting stronger. They take a piece of me. But I'm getting stronger. They take a piece of me. But I'm getting stronger. Slices and slices